Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. Today on RC360, Christine Hood, Director of Government Relations and Health Promotion for the Heart and Stroke Foundation here in Manitoba, joins us to discuss Stroke Awareness Month and share some potentially life-saving tips to recognize and deal with having a stroke. Then, how one Winnipeg woman has gained a sense of community and empowerment thanks to one of the many family resource centers here in Winnipeg. Then we'll hear from Christine Ahrens and Christy Nickel as they'll give us a sneak peek of their new news segment on CJNU called A Winnipeg Slice, A Little Piece of Winnipeg. We'll also speak with Louis-Philippe Bougeot, a local history librarian at the Winnipeg Public Library, to find out all about the Sir Hugh John MacDonald walks taking place this Saturday. And last but not least, we'll be joined by Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons, Winnipeg Citizen Journalism Project. All this, some great music, and much, much more on today's episode of River. River City 360. Hello and welcome to RC360. Nolan and Robert here with you today as we are almost every Thursday. I guess every Thursday, yeah, if we can make it. Yeah. How are you making out on this Thursday, Robert? So far, we've we've made it pretty well. We're surviving, hey? Every single it's Thursday. It's been a bit stormy this and week. But, uh, every Saturday as well that's in right. repeat form. If you can't be here right now live with us on Thursday... You can listen again on Saturday mornings as the repeat show where it's the same content. It's the same conversation. Mm -hmm. It's literally a facsimile of the show, but it's at a different time. So if if Tuesday or Thursday at noon doesn't work for you, then maybe Saturday at 8 a.m. will. Absolutely. Another window to hear all the great stories that are happening all throughout our city. Speaking of great stories happening in the city, there are some great stories on the show today. Stacey Cardigan-Smith is going to be telling us about an article she recently wrote uh, in the Working Together publication from the Winnipeg Foundation. It's all about family family resource centers and how they can really help uh, those in need in their prospective communities. We're also going to speak with Christine Hood. She's of the Heart and Stroke Foundation. She's going to tell us, uh, hopefully, about how to recognize the uh, signs of stroke and what you can do if you see these signs happening. So that'll be a good conversation. And more stories from Christine Ahrens and Christy Nickel, the co-hosts of a new summer segment on CGNU called Winnipeg Slice. You might have heard them playing uh, every day this week already, talking about a little slice of Winnipeg. So there's a whole bunch of stories to get to on today's show. Before we get to any of those, we always kick things off with a song, and we're right in the middle of June, so Song for a Summer Night by Mitch Miller, right here on River City 360.
listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. And we're now joined via telephone by a very special guest. We have Christine Hood. She's the Director of Government Relations and Health Promotion at the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Christine, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So June is Stroke Month. It's uh, National Stroke Month. And the Heart and Stroke has a new report out that's focusing uh, specifically on stroke. So tell us a little bit about the report, what you hope to achieve, and what the report kind of told everyone. Yeah, happy to do that. So just a little bit of background. Um, We know that stroke is the third leading cause of death in Canada and the number one cause of adult disability. So stroke is a a big deal. Um, And every year the Heart and Stroke Foundation puts out a stroke report. And the 2017 stroke report is really looking at the stroke recovery journey across the ages, you know, highlighting some common challenges and issues that occur at, at specific life stages. So we're looking at the role of the family caregiver, Um, highlighting the importance of placing the patient and family at the center of care, and looking at some system improvements that could support the changing profile and needs of people with stroke. So for the report, we also talked to people who've had a stroke. We've talked to family members and experts and reviewed uh, the latest research studies. And we've also polled Canadians around their understanding of stroke recovery and caregiving. I think that's an interesting uh, approach to have because a lot of times when dealing with any sort of um, uh, health issues, people don't often concern themselves with the caregivers or with the people sort of tangentially affected by by something like heart, heart attack or stroke. So I understand that there was a poll in how Canadians feel about the effects of stroke and caring for stroke patients. So what, what did that poll say? Like how did people react to how they had to deal with uh, dealing with stroke? Yeah, it, it's interesting, and, and as you said, caregivers is a, is a big part of, uh, of, of, of stroke recovery, and we know that there's 8 million caregivers across Canada, um, you know, at any given time. So the poll that you're referring to is very interesting, and, and, and when we looked at some of the concerns around taking care of someone close, close to somebody who's had a stroke, um, people identified their own lack of skills and ability to provide care as one of the top three concerns. Financial concerns is another one and not having the free time or the help from others as another concern. We also found out that 31% of Canadians said they would not feel capable of personally caring for a family member who experienced stroke. Um, 45% said they were very confident that family and friends would be able to care for them after a stroke. And interestingly, we found that fewer than 3% of poll respondents identified fatigue or depression as effects of stroke. And we know that those are two um, significant realities for stroke patients. Has, has that not necessarily been a focus of heart and stroke, uh, dealing with sort of the, depre- like the mental health aspect of, ha- of going through this physical experience? I think one of the, the benefits of this report is really identifying the, the focus and the, and, and the issues that some of these patients and caregivers go through. So um, not so much that it hasn't been a focus, but I think it's just a, an important part that we've, we've asked We've asked people to, to see their understanding and, you know, comparing that to what the realities are, uh, it's, it's interesting that we've, we've identified that real gap. Um, we had one of your colleagues come in and, and speak to us about stroke. It was very an interesting conversation that we had. But uh, I'm curious, as, as a sort of man that's growing in age a little bit, what's the youngest, like, what's the youngest that you've seen someone has had a stroke and what is sort of the average age of someone that has a stroke or is it exclusively with uh, the older population or or talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting part of this report as well. We do know that age is the strongest risk factor for stroke and of course we know that our population is aging. 
Um, but at the same time, stroking younger people is also on the rise at a, at a, at a quite a rapid rate. So we know there are more than 400,000 Canadians living with long-term disability from stroke, and this is expected to double. So getting back to your question, um, we know that 80% of all strokes happen to those over the age of 60, um, but we also know that 19% of admissions are for younger adults between the ages of 20 to 59. Um, so that's a little bit surprising to some people because we often think of, of strokes happening just you know, to those that are older, and that's, that's certainly not the case, and we are seeing a bit of a rise in that younger population. Um, we also know that strokes in, can happen in, in babies as well. There's about one in 6,300 babies that are born with stroke or about one a week. So, so certainly it's, 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 it's an issue that affects the, the lifespan. Well, so age is something that you can't control, obviously, but what are some factors that you can um, at least have an effect on to, to lower your potential risk for stroke? Right, and, and it's a good point that, that age is, is the strongest risk factor and one that we, uh, that we can't control. But I think when you look at some of those um, strokes happening in the younger ages, you know, we look at some of the risk factors that can be uh, an issue as well. So looking at, you know, things like physical inactivity and unhealthy eating and, you know, certainly high blood pressure is, is the number one risk factor for strokes. So there are some things that we as Canadians can do to, to try and, and, and reduce our risk for developing stroke. And what about um, recognizing the signs of a stroke? I, I know that there's uh, the sort of the droopy face and slurred speech is one of them, but uh, give me an example of what you can look for if someone is having a stroke. Yeah, and, and the Heart and Stroke Foundation has really um, emphasized the importance of looking at those signs of stroke. So you've probably seen the fast um, advertisements in the media, yep. on, the, on the buses and, and all of those sorts of things, because we really know that, that time is critical when we're dealing with stroke. It's so important to get care fast. So the FAST acronym, as far as the signs of stroke, um, stands for face, is it drooping? Arms, can you raise both? Speech, is it slurred or jumbled? And time to call 911 right away. And that time is so critical because we know that the longer the delay before treatment, uh, the greater the risk of permanent brain damage with a stroke. So we know that when people are suffering from a stroke, they could be eligible for the clot-busting drug called TPA if they can arrive at a, at a stroke center within a certain window of time. So it's so critical to act fast. And, you know, sometimes I think our tendency is, you know, maybe it'll just go away, I'll just rest for a little while. But recognizing those signs of stroke and acting is critical. So the quicker you recognize the signs, face drooping, arm weakness, speech difficulty, and, the, the, and then the time to call 911 as soon as you see you. Is it one or all of those um, potential uh, signs? It's, it's one or any of those signs. What we want to do is recognize those signs and ensure that, you know, if, if even one of them is happening, um, that we look at that and we take it seriously. Absolutely. There's no harm in, you know, being careful. If you, if you think one of these sy- symptoms is happening, it's, there's no harm in actually you know, looking into it and, and making sure that there isn't a stroke happening. But if you just ignore it and let it and hope it goes away on its own, there is potential for a huge. That's right. And I mean, I think the good news would be that, you know, maybe it, it wasn't that. And, and that's certainly good news for people, because sometimes what people experience is called a TIA, which is kind of a mini stroke, which might be a sort of a temporary um, indicator of some of these signs. And, and we do know that, you know, somebody who experiences a TIA is going to be far more likely to experience a stroke. 
So the sooner that they can get that care and, and have that conversation with the healthcare providers, then um, you know the better uh, the better results that that are, are going to be in the future. So don't don't mess around. Think fast. Face drooping, arm weakness, speech difficulty. Time to call nine one one. F A S T. So for for the for this report, is this available to the public? Can people go on your website and find it, or where can they find more information? Absolutely. So you can visit our website at uh, heartandstroke.ca. The report is on there. There's lots of fast assets on there as well. You can print off some of these pieces if you'd like to hang them up in your in your house. Um, we have bookmarks here at the Heart and Stroke Foundation. There's lots and lots of information. Um, on the website, so certainly encourage you to, to visit there to see the report and, and also visit the website for other, um, you know, other great pieces of information regarding risk factor reduction and all of that as well. So again, it's heartandstroke.ca. Information and education is probably the strongest tool we have in our toolbox to fight these issues. So I think, uh, yeah, go to the website, learn as much as you can, and uh, it could potentially save your life or someone that you know. Christine Hood, Director of Government Relations and Health Promotion at Heart and Stroke here in Manitoba. Thank you so much for talking to us. We really appreciate your expertise, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Nolan, and thank you again to Christine Hood of the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Coming up after the break, we'll have another feature story drawn from the Working Together publication at the Winnipeg Foundation. Stacy Cardigan-Smith will join us in studio to tell us about how a family resource centre on Keenly side is helping to give one woman a sense of community and empowerment. Before we get to that, we're going to hear Pete Fountain with When You're Smiling, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Coming up next is a story filed by senior producer here at RC360, Stacy Cardigan-Smith. She recently wrote an article in the most recent Working Together publication at the Winnipeg Foundation, and it's all about family resource centers and how they can help those in need gain a sense of community in their part of the city. Stacy. Judy Zalondek doesn't like weekends much. That's when her family resource center is closed. To sum it up, I'd say that Monday to Friday is my favorite time. I don't like weekends anymore because the center is closed. I just enjoy the, the friendships and the compassion that the center shows to everyone. doesn't matter your walk in life. Ms. Zalondek has been living in the Manitoba housing complex on Keenly side for almost six years. The on-site family resource centre, run by Family Dynamics, is the social hub of the community for many in the 92-unit facility, including Judy. Without the resource centre, a lot of people would... They wouldn't get out and meet their neighbours, they wouldn't get out and socialise. Um, I'm mobility limited. And if it wasn't for this place, I wouldn't see anyone except for my son because I can't, I can't even make it to the bus. So this is my lifeline to the world. A $15 million six-year initiative spearheaded by the United Way is ensuring additional support for the 24 family resource centers across Winnipeg, including Family Dynamics' Keenlyside location. According to the United Way, more than 35,000 citizens accessed programs and services offered in family resource centres across Winnipeg last year alone. Currently, a lack of funding restricts the number of hours centres can be open, some as few as six hours a week. For Every Family aims to keep family resource centres open a minimum of 40 hours a week, help them access additional program resources, and build a network connecting those centres so they can share best practices. Family Dynamics took over the operations of the facility about four years ago. Here are coordinators Louise Friesen and Sharon Lajemodier. Here it empowers them to make choices and we try we guide, but they make decisions and it's like the grassroots up, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we empower them as parents, so and they can talk amongst themselves here. And here it's uh, they're this is like Switzerland, right? This is the safe place. They may be fighting on the outside, but when they come in here, it's all... But they empower each other. Like, someone knows how to cook, someone knows how to bake, someone knows how to sew, someone, you know... And it strengthens them when they can do it for themselves. The centre at Keenlyside offers many programs, including a community kitchen, clothing depot, counselling, scrapbooking workshops, family nights, kids' cooking classes, and lots more. All programs are decided by residents at twice-monthly tenant meetings. The Community Kitchen program is a favourite for tenants. For just $4, they can make and take home a meal that will feed four. Here's Judy again. Community Kitchen is, is a big one. I, uh, I broadened my uh, recipe repertoire. I really enjoy sharing new recipes. It's cost-effective. There is nowhere you can make a, fam a family of four dinner for $4. It's awesome. And you, you learn new spice uh, 
mixture techniques. Um, I'm eating things that I never ate before, like the different spices, the different combinations. And it's encouraged me to continue at home. I love it. Working together in the kitchen and spending time together helps build relationships, especially with newcomer populations. Here's resident Charlene Picard. We get past that barrier, the language barrier, and we work together and cook together. We go to the beach together. We have beach trips, so we go and do those things together. And I think that some of us come from places where we didn't have big families or a lot of support and stuff. We didn't even get to you know work together as a family where in the center we do those kinds of things and we get to see what it's like and i think that it builds um, capacity in us and i think it builds hope in us some residents may have trust issues or are struggling with mental health coordinators work hard to encourage residents to come into the center in one recent case Louise and Sharon spent a year encouraging a woman and her children to come to programming. And we do a lot of outreach, like if we see somebody struggling or um, somebody new even to the city, we have people that have moved here and never been in Winnipeg before and we'll go and do some outreach and invite them in and sometimes it takes a while, mm -hmm. but they come and then they're happy. Like we had one lady come in last night with her kids, I was so happy because she's been isolated and alone and it took a little encouraging to get her to come but now she's coming in and she was very happy that she was well, here. she sent her children in on our our kids club program on monday so we had some of them here for that and then she showed up yesterday and it's like yes charlene picard and her three children moved into the complex about two and a half years ago being in the positive space has changed their lives. We came here from a really rough place, so they, they were there healing too. Like my one daughter, she was afraid of men when we got here. And so then now she's not anymore. So, and that comes from being around healthy, healthier people in a healthier environment. This positivity expands to the entire housing complex. Here's Charlene again. We build um, bonds with each other, and then we're watching out for each other outside of the community center. And we're hearing when there's a stranger in the community that's bothering people or, or trying to go into other people's homes, or if there's somebody trying to peddle drugs, like we're, we kind of built a, like a strong foundation that way that if we didn't have a community center, we would be watching our own backs. We wouldn't have that strength here. So, and like a good foundation where we're together. Judy Zalondek agrees. This community center has made this a community, not a housing project. It's a chance to meet friends, meet your neighbors, and lose that stigma about being, well, we're all poor, but we're not here. Like everybody has their strengths and we share them. The For Every Family program is supported by a million dollar grant from the Winnipeg Foundation and is also supported by the province and many additional donors. For River City 360, I'm Stacy Cardigan-Smith. Thanks, Stacy. And you can find this story and many more in the most recent edition of Working Together magazine. It's on the Winnipeg Foundation's website at wpgfdn.org or you can call the foundation and request a copy.
Coming up after the break, we'll be joined in studio by Christine Ahrens and Christy Nickel. They are co-hosts of a new summer segment on CJNU called A Winnipeg Slice. Christy and Christine will be bringing us stories about a little piece of Winnipeg all summer long, and we'll learn about two of the stories that they've been working on coming up next after this next song. Before we get to that, here is Everlasting Love, Carl Carlton, right here on River City 360. Listening to River City 360, Nolan Bicknell here with you today, and we're now joined in studio for the first time ever with by Christine Ahrens. She is the co-host of a new segment on CJNU that you may have heard this week called Winnipeg Slice, where she explores Winnipeg and gives you a little taste of a story that you might not have heard about or might not know about our wonderful city. Christine, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So last week you gave a couple Winnipeg slices to CJNU, uh, and one of them was a really interesting thing that I've actually wanted to do for a long time, and it's go on a boat tour at the Forks, because I've seen them, every time I go down to the Forks, you see them kind of out and about, and you see people on them, and they always look like they're having fun, and you got to go on it. So tell me a little bit about the experience, what happened, and... and, and for sure. Yeah. So actually, same as you, I've walked past that boat tour so many times, uh, I had no interest to go on it, because, well, I mean, boats are great, but... It's a historical tour, and I just figured I already know what's going on in Winnipeg. Why would I need to be told what I already know? But anyways, I decided to take the tour, and I was so happy that I did. Um, my tour guide, or captain, he refers to himself, captain, Andy nice. Bart, <laughs> he was 
so smart. And uh, at any time, you would just be like, okay, tell me a fact about this or right now what happened here. And uh, just immediately he could tell you um, something so interesting. So uh, during our tour, um, at one point I said, all right, tell me something about the area that we're in. Uh, We happen to be by the ledge. And so he actually, I got a clip for you. I'll show you what he said. It's an incredible building, has an amazing history going back to the the early days, the big boom days of Winnipeg in 1911 when they started construction of this building. Built of limestone, brought in from north of Winnipeg at the Garson Limestone Deposit. And uh, it was a symbol of wealth and prosperity. It was built during a time where they thought Winnipeg was going to be the new Chicago. So how long have these tours been around? I've seen them for years. I've been in Winnipeg almost a decade, and I've seen them for that long. So how long has the Splash Dash tour been around? Yeah, actually, it's a milestone anniversary for them. Uh, Andy was saying how the owner, Gord Cartwright, he started things up 25 years ago. Um, And since it's their 25th anniversary, they actually have some plans to uh, celebrate. So I'll let Andy tell us a bit about it. Yeah, Splash Dash is having its 25th anniversary this year. And uh, we have some big big things, big events planned for later in the summer. And so uh, we all want everybody to come down and enjoy our beautiful riverways that we have here in Winnipeg. Do you know like a specific date for the birthday? Yeah. um, It was probably on May long weekend. We actually had it already, but this is sort of the, uh, yeah, the whole season. It's been going for a long time. A lot of Winnipeggers probably don't know that. So they have a lot of cool stuff going on in the summer. Uh, he even mentioned to me that some of the stuff's going to be free. So it would be great opportunity to go down and check it out. But even if it's not free the day you happen to get down there, it's only $11. So it's super cheap. Uh, it's really worth it. I had such a great time uh, out on the river. One thing he did tell me about was this boat bus that starts at Hugo and Wellington and it's going to go into the exchange. So yeah, like the water bus service uh, is a system of seven docks throughout the downtown area where it's like a bus service where you go and wait on the dock and then our water bus comes by and picks you up and for three dollars and fifty cents we'll deliver you to another spot it's a great way to get around and go and enjoy the city go for cocktails downtown or in Corden and uh, then you know get back to your hotel or your apartment So it sounds like this summer, hopefully when there's a nice day out, there will be a lot of opportunities to kind of ride the boat and learn a little bit more about our great city. Definitely. And if you need more information, uh, their website is splash-dot.ca. Perfect. Thank you so much to talk for talking to us. Christine Ahrens is one of the co-hosts of A Winnipeg Slice. You can hear that every day on CJNU. So keep it locked on 93.7. Thanks for being here, Christine. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks, Christine. After a short musical break, we'll hear from her co-host, Christy Nichol, and we'll learn all about Accessibility Awareness Week and how the Canadian Museum for Human Rights approaches accessibility. Before we get to that, here is Karen Plato with We Kiss in a Shadow, right here on River City 360. We kiss in a shadow We hide from the people are near 
Listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by Christy Nickel. She is one half of the Winnipeg Slice team, co host of a Winnipeg Slice here on CJNU. Christy, thank you for joining us. Excited to be here. So, part of your job here is to tell the stories of Winnipeg from maybe a different angle that our listeners haven't heard before. Last week, you attended some events for Manitoba Access Awareness Week. So, tell me about uh, what the Canadian Museum for Human Rights had when it comes to awareness and access for awareness or yeah. awareness for access <laughs> yeah so um i took a class with uh, a man named Corey timpson he he led the class he's a digital designer and was a huge part in planning what went into accessible features throughout the museum so accessible features like um wheelchair access and things like that exactly so a lot of people hear accessibility and they think um, they solely think have a ramp for <laughs> right. a wheelchair. That's the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah. For sure. So uh, it was really cool because he delved really deep into the other things that are considered accessible. So it's not just about having ramps. It's uh, everything from choosing font, font size, font color for readability. Okay. Um, to having two different railing heights throughout the building, having audible experiences for the visually impaired. They even argued about um, what word they wanted to call the washroom. Have a listen. I think what ends up happening is um, people will think in one one dimension. So when we looked at um, creating the the bathrooms, what we found is that when you look at um, the user needs of someone who needs to use the bathroom, we can um, segment people out and say, well, the person in a wheelchair needs this out of the bathroom, but the single parent with a child needs this out of the bathroom. When you look at how you would address individual needs, a lot of the solutions end up being the same. 
So let's not call it the accessible washroom, or let's not call it the single mom washroom, or let's not call it the gender neutral washroom. Let's just call it the washroom. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm guilty of this as well, but I don't think people in general understand that accessibility means for, for the see, hearing impaired, seeing visually impaired, all sorts of things. Um, and they don't understand sort of the amount of work that goes into something at the CMHR because it has to be constantly accessible for everyone. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And uh, Corey has actually worked with 52 different museums. And uh, and he says that the Canadian Museum for Human Rights is one of the most accessible museums, if not buildings, in the entire world. Uh, so it was an exciting project for him because he got to basically start from scratch with designing it. You know, new national museum projects don't just kind of come along very often. Um, but this was an opportunity to sort of bring a culmination of experiences that I've had over the number of different museums I've worked with and bring it all together and sort of do it across the board. Uh, one of my favorite things that he talked about in his presentation was how he draws inspiration from other cultures. Um, I was just in Japan at the International Association of Universal Design and I was really captured by the perspective of a lot of the, the Fortune 500 companies in Japan which looked at the fact that people want to live longer. And as you live longer, you're going to want to keep doing the things that you find enjoyable. And if we look at inclusive and universal design as a manner of addressing the ability for people to enjoy life longer and for everyone to enjoy life, then it makes a lot of sense that it's not just the needs of a few, it's actually the needs of everyone. That's actually really interesting, and I would completely agree with it. Um, who doesn't want to live longer, right? <laughs> exactly. So for those out there who haven't been to the CMHR, even if you are concerned with accessibility, it sounds like anyone who goes there will have complete access and it'll be an enjoyable time for all. Christy, thank you so much for talking to us about the Manitoba Access Awareness Week. And I look forward to hearing more uh, segments of a Winnipeg Slice right here on CJNU. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Christy. And thank you, Nolan. Coming up after the break, Louis-Philippe Bougeot, local history librarian at the Winnipeg Public Library, will be joining me in studio to talk about the library's local history initiatives, including a walk that's taking place Saturday, June 17th that you won't want to miss. But before we get to that, here is Henry Cuesta with Just a Closer Walk with Thee, right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Robert Zirk, and I am now joined by Louis-Philippe Bougeot. He is the local history librarian at the Winnipeg Public Library. Louis-Philippe, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. We're here to talk about local history, what's available at the Winnipeg Public Library, and a very interesting event that's coming up this Saturday that our listeners might want to check out. So first of all, let's just talk about local history resources in general at the Winnipeg Public Library. There's so many things at the library, uh, some of which, you know, people might not really be familiar with beyond, you know, the traditional books and CDs and DVDs. But what local history resources are available to people who are interested in that and want to check that out at their local library? In the main branch downtown at uh, 251 Donald Street, the Millennium Library, there is a room uh, called the Local History Room. The entire collection that is that, that is inside this room is about the history of Manitoba and also the history of Winnipeg in particular. You can find not only books about a multitude of subjects related to the history of Manitoba and the history of Winnipeg, but you can also find rare prints of uh, local fiction. You can find biographies of famous and not so famous Manitobans. We have uh, magazines that are that were published on local topics, as well as newspaper clippings that we keep in vertical files about the topics that interest Manitobans. Okay, so it's sort of a one-stop shop. If you're interested in local history, that's the place to be and to find all the resources that you would need to start learning about whatever you're looking into. Absolutely. The goal of the room is to make as much resources available to, for the public for research or for casual reading. Uh, genealogists will find a lot of material about local genealogy. In, uh, in particular, we have the Anderson directories for the city of Winnipeg. Those directories, for those who don't know, uh, listed people who resided in Winnipeg not only by street address but also by name, and also it mentioned uh, what profession they were they were occupying at the time. So for genealogists, it's a it's a very good resource to research if they are looking for to know who lived where and what they did in the city. Oh, wow! And that and we have the directories from 1880 to the year 2000. On Saturday, um, there's a very special event coming up that will lead people to the local history room at the Millennium Library. We mentioned it briefly on the show last week, but for those of our listeners uh, who maybe haven't heard about the event, tell us a little bit about the walk with Sir Hugh John MacDonald that's coming up. The walk has been going on since 2011. It started when uh, me and uh, Ron Robinson, who had already done uh, programs with the library before as someone who reenacted uh, famous Manitoban figures, decided to do a, a program that would highlight famous uh, buildings and uh, places down in downtown Winnipeg around the library. And since uh, we had the, the Danavert Museum nearby, who was the home of one of the premiers of Manitoba, uh, Hugh Johnny McDonald. We decided that uh, Ron would be the perfect fit. He would he would basically become uh, certain Hugh Johnny McDonald for the walk and take us on a stroll and tell us about important milestones in his life and how it is connected to the city. And for the local history room, it was a good uh, opportunity to raise awareness about the resources. And we do have uh, several very beautiful books of historical photographs from the early 20th century in Winnipeg, and we wanted to showcase these at the end of the tour. It's a really very immersive way for people to learn about local history. Um, what with, you know, you have the character of Sir Hugh John MacDonald pointing out some of the sites that are important uh, to his own personal life, as it were. What are a couple of the points along the walk that 
might be significant to Sir Hugh John Macdonald? Well, before he became a lawyer and a politician, the son of our first prime minister was a soldier. He joined the Queensland Rifles. And during his youth, he took part in the original expedition, the Wolseley expedition that uh, was sent to deal with the Lilwiria Rebellion of 1870. Uh, now, of course, the rebellion itself ended without a, sh- a shot fired, fortunately. But these were formative years for, for, uh, for Sir John Hugh. And we make a stop uh, near the Fort Gary Gates, uh, which have been recently renovated. And he tells about uh, his experience uh, as a combatant. And also uh, we stop by Bunny Castle Park, which has a, a few historical plaques that uh, relates the early history of Red River and the re- real rebellion. It's very cool how you can take history and make it come to life in that way. Exactly. The, the, the idea behind the walk is to see the history all around us that exists. And sometimes we walk past it without really appreciating the importance it has in our history, collective history. If people are interested in taking part in the Sir Hugh John MacDonald walk, how do they do so? Where can they go to get more information? Well, the information is available on our on the library website. It's available as well in a newsletter. If you are interested in uh, joining the walk this Saturday, we still have some space available. You need to register in advance, however. Uh, you can do that by calling the library at 204-986-6450. There will be two walks this Saturday. The first one will be at 10 a.m. and the second one will be at 1 p.m. Excellent. And for those that are taking part in the walk, they would meet at Delnavert, which is at 61 Carlton, right? Correct. And then that'll take them to the Millennium Library, completing the walk at the local history room where they can check out all the cool things that we were just talking about. That's right. Uh, We'll have uh, a lot of our more precious items on display for them to cross through. Very neat. Well, thank you so much, Louis-Philippe Bougeau, for joining me today on the program and telling us all about the Sir Hugh John MacDonald Walk. Pleasure. Welcome back to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons and a fantastic journalist who's been doing it for decades. <laughs> How are you today, Noah? Well, I feel a little older now. Well, you're, <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you today? I just say it because I want people to understand the, the level of expertise you bring to the game, to, to well, the journalism game. That's very kind of you to, to, to say that. So we talk when you come on the show about citizen journalists, because that's kind of the next wave of how people are consuming their news nowadays. They don't necessarily go to the traditional news sources. They go to Twitter and Facebook and the Internet and see different people telling stories about their communities straight from the source. So community news comments kind of encompasses that fairly well. And there's some cool stories that are being published every day on CNC. So what have you got for us this week? Well, this week, I really like the story by Ann Haw. Uh, that uh, is, um, it's another Canada game story. There's as been you know, a lot of good coverage about the Canada games. For sure. The, uh, the games approached us uh, a few months ago and said, uh, how would your citizen reporters like to do some stories about the Canada games? And um, we said, yeah, that would be great. And so um, 
we have uh, talked to the citizen reporters about doing some stories, and they've uh, they've really delivered. There's a there's a whole page of stories that you can see that uh, feature stories uh, about uh, the Canada Games, and this one by Anne talks about some skilled students who uh, designed and build uh, props uh, for the games. You yeah, know, I guess like, you don't really uh, think about stuff like that, hey? No, you don't. You uh, you think about the volunteers. Of course, they've mm-hmm. they've been able to get all the six thousand volunteers that they that they need, uh, but things such as you know like information boards, picnic tables for the teams, benches for the teams. Just the fabrication of that stuff. Exactly. And and even something like, you know, uh, things to measure the long jump. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, these are, uh, there's a whole bunch of, of materials, props that have to be designed and built. And so uh, uh, an agreement was, uh, was struck between um, the Canada Games and the Manitoba Institute of Trades and Technology, the MITT program. Uh, and they have a youth build program as part of that. And um, these uh, students are extremely skilled. And there's a great story about how they partnered with the Games uh, in, in order to uh, build a lot of these different props, and uh, they really, cool. uh, they've really uh, done a great job. Uh, and there's a great story with some really nice photos um, on uh, communitynewscommons.org. It's called "Skilled Students Design and Build Props for Games." That's cool. Yeah, that's a, a, a an angle that you wouldn't necessarily think of or hear about on the six o'clock news, but you're going to hear it and read about it on CNC. Yeah, for sure. And the other story I wanted to mention was by Deanna Ing, uh, another friend of the reporter. show. Yeah, she uh, she attended the. Manitoba Access uh, Awareness Week uh, last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, Deanna, of course, uh, is uh, visually impaired. And so she knows a lot about accessibility and about people who are disabled are trying to get access to different businesses and uh, different um, uh, centers in uh, Winnipeg. And so she's uh, she sort of did a little um, coverage of that week. And um, she has a nice little piece about the... Um, sort of taking stock of uh, how accessible are we here in Manitoba and uh, some of the things that we really have to do in order to make our province much more accessible. So I I would encourage our listeners to check that out uh, on communitynewscommons.org by uh, Deanna Ng. Very cool. Yeah, we actually just heard from uh, Christy Nickel, one of our, the co-hosts of a Winnipeg Slice here on CJNU, and she had a story about um, uh, Accessibility Awareness Week and how the CMHR has been designed with with, accessibility accessibility in mind and is is touted as one of the most accessible buildings if not muse if or one of the most accessible museums if not buildings in the whole world so it's cool to see yeah it's great you know like uh, you wouldn't if you looked at the cmhr you wouldn't off the top of your head say hey that building is accessible right. uh, but really um it goes for any building in mm-hmm. uh, in in our province it, it, making it accessible doesn't impact anybody who is uh, able-bodied. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't, uh, it makes a huge difference, though, to those uh, who have an issue with regards to disability. Win-win, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, Noah, at the end of our time together, we ask you to bring us a song that maybe our listeners haven't heard before. And I understand today is a bit of a jazz number you got for us. What have you got? Well, of course, it's Jazz Fest. Uh, Perfect. TD Winnipeg International Jazz Festival. It's a great festival. It kicks off uh, June 15th, and uh, that's today, of course. And uh, it will be running um, a free opening weekend uh, at the Cube uh, as well. Um, it will have a 10-day run. Lots of performers, uh, nearly 100 of them. And one of the acts is uh, local guitarist and producer and composer Keith Price. Uh, he is a terrific uh, musician, and uh, he just 
came fresh from playing uh, Canada's premier jazz club, uh, the Yardbird Suite in Edmonton. He also uh, was playing at Jazz Winnipeg's New Sound Series not too long ago. And uh, he is set to launch his uh, full-length album called Double Quartet. And that will be on June 24th at the Rachel Brown Theatre at 10 p.m. So you might want to check that out. But uh, we thought we'd give you a sneak peek uh, from his upcoming album of Double Quartet. This is Keith Price with the tune Riot. And you're listening to River City 360 with Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell, the 93.7 CJNU. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all those things on our website. Visit rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please give us a call. We would love to hear from you. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also send us an email at rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. Feel free to leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. Again, our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well if you do either of those things by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you.